This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. And let's talk about the topic today that the first time I ever brought it up to you, you looked at me and said, I think we're going to need to sit down and talk about this over lunch. Surplus lines. <laughs> and so we... <laughs> We got up and you and Tara and I walked across the street and y'all sat me down at the barbecue restaurant and we spent the entire lunchtime talking about surplus lines. It's a lot to talk about and it's an area that a lot of agencies, particularly agents that either come out of the captive system or a producer for a captive organization of some sort, all of these types of agents that have that background, they may or may not have ever experienced excess and surplus lines or ENS. For short, it's ENS or it's surplus lines. This is another one of those areas for you where there's multiple terms and they're synonymous and they all mean the same thing. And if we were doing this live in a room, I would start getting texts from newer agents saying, what is he talking about? What is this? I usually get deer in the headlights during our agency group, new agent orientation where I introduce this in a session and I talk about this. And the reason we talk about this is there's so many elements of it, like agency bill versus direct bill, those types of terms, or premium financing. This is a great topic to explore for producers that are starting agencies. Also, it's it's a great topic for personal lines agents who want to expand into commercial because most of what we're talking about in surplus lines is going to be commercial commercial lines. While there is some excess and surplus personal lines business, it for the most part is a commercial lines element. So why is it called excess and surplus? There's admitted. So that's another term, admitted market. So in, if a state has approved a carrier and has quote, admitted that carrier to do business in their state, then they are usually covered by the state's guarantee fund. They are backed by the state. The carrier has filed with the state. And this goes state by state because insurance is regulated on a state basis, not a federal basis. Then there are carriers who say, well, I don't want to apply for admission. I don't want to be admitted. I want to write on a non-admitted basis. That's another term, another synonym for excess and surplus. What that means is they're not backed by the the state's guarantee fund. And then the state charges them taxes and fees in order for them to write in that state as a non-admitted carrier. Why would a carrier want to do that? Because then they have more flexibility with forms, rate, coverages, and that is necessary when you get into what the purpose of surplus lines is, which is to write a higher risk or a little different type of risk. For instance, a lot of your surplus lines business is going to be a lot of your oil and gas. It's going to be a little more hairy. It's not the normal auto home, bop, small business owner. The risk itself doesn't qualify for an admitted market. The admitted market generally is the standard preferred market. The non-admitted or surplus lines market is more for your riskier elements in terms of how you do business. A lot of professional lines business like ENO and DNO and cyber, most cyber, if not 100% of cyber, 
on a standalone basis is going to be surplus lines. It's the carrier needing to do more to be profitable, either from a coverage or a premium standpoint, and they don't want to be as regulated at the state level. If this business is as hairy, as you would say, I'm sure my mother is extremely proud that I just used that term, but why is this even something that I would want to do within my agency? Well, first before I answer that, Mama Queen's not a fan of hair, other than being on your head. Harry would not make her feel good. That would be correct. My mama is one of those good <laughs> Southern women that goes to the hairdresser one day a week and he teases her to Jesus and then her hair does not get touched again until the next week when she goes back to the hairdresser and he washes her hair and he fixes it. So here's why an agency might want to jump into this. Number one, they're typically larger premiums. You have potentially personal lines customers that own businesses. If you write standard and preferred personal lines business and you are predominantly a personal lines agency, there's a really good chance that I'm going to throw this 20 to 25, 30% of your customers, maybe more are also business owners. There's a percentage in your book of business of your customers that actually own businesses. And so you may be sitting there going, okay, man, there's a huge opportunity for me to make an investment into a commercial lines department and grow commercial lines out of the referral and cross sell of my personal lines book of business and clientele, which I think is an incredible, great strategy once you've built that foundational revenue and you've got the excess capital to invest. Well, guess what? All of those businesses that are owners of those businesses that it's in your personal lines book, they're not going to all have squeaky clean, perfect little business owner package. Everybody loves the risk type businesses. Some of them might be welders or fabricators or small manufacturers and contractors. There's all kinds of different classes of business that are probably going to be inside your book from an owner standpoint. And so you're going to have to have an excess and surplus lines element to your agency if you're going to be in commercial lines. If you're going to just write standard, preferred, squeaky clean, BOP oriented commercial lines business, you're going to have to go a lot wider geographically. You can be the florist shop insurance king or queen, but you're going to have to do that across regions or states. You're going to have to do that on a mass scale. And then you can stay in your squeaky clean little bop element. But once you start writing different classes of business and different types of businesses, you're just going to find yourself needing to go into the surplus lines market to place the risk. You mentioned welders and I'm about to go off on a Tanya tangent. The cute boy and I went to see the 40th anniversary showing of Flashdance last night at the movie theater because I who can believe that that movie came out 40 years ago and it's very short. I didn't realize how short the movie was compared to movies today and Daniel had never seen it and when it was over he looked at me he goes I just don't see why this was a big deal. He goes it's a movie about a really unhealthy relationship between an 18-year-old welder and her boss who decides she wants to be a ballerina when she's 18? He's like, that's dumb. And I was like, wow, you just put one of the most iconic movies of the 80s into this little, I mean, that movie would never be made today. The music was fantastic. 
But the movie made absolutely no sense looking at it 40 years later. I'm a little shocked that he's never seen it. I thought anyone between the ages of 40 and 60 in today's world, it was a rite of passage. You had to see Flashdance. He said, I've seen the water scene. He goes, but that's the only thing that he had seen. So... I actually forgot that she was a welder. So that brings it back into perspective there. So getting back to this. So we own a premium finance company. And this was one of those things that I'd never really understood what premium finance was until the grand luncheon at Papa's Pit Barbecue that y'all started explaining the rest of this to me. So surplus lines has a lot of moving parts. And one of the things that happens when you get into writing surplus lines business is... There's some GAs and there's some organizations that have tried to sort of make it cleaner and easier on the personal line side, but on the commercial side, they're not overly concerned about this because it's just not their thing. They don't offer billing, so they don't necessarily bill the customer. And so many of us on the personal line side, riding with major national carriers, regional standard preferred carriers, eons ago in the 80s, I think, maybe late 70s, early 80s, carriers for personal auto and home and personal lines across the board, they started billing directly. It was called direct bill. That was the carrier is invoicing the insured consumer directly and the consumer was paying the insurance carrier. And there's a lot of history here. If you can find someone that was in the insurance agency business that you can talk to and you're a historian and you want to really, really have some fun, go find someone that was in the insurance agency business in the 60s and 70s because agents were responsible for collecting the money at that point in time and then sending the money on to the carrier withholding their commissions. And one of the first big, huge disruptors and things that really upset agents back during the 80s and during this revolution of direct billing was (laughs) that if you take the agent out of the payment process, you're just going to steal my customer. So that was kind of the first little agent revolution of revolt and just sort of you can't do this to us. And there was a lot of friction around this movement from what was called agency billing to direct billing. Obviously, 50 years later, 40, 50 years later, it worked. However, on the surplus line side, they don't offer billing mechanisms to the customer. So if you're a customer and you have a fabrication company and you pay $50,000 a year in insurance premium, there's no billing mechanism from that surplus lines carrier. They don't direct bill that client. And so it's on the agent to collect that money. Well, insert premium finance company. The premium finance company is a third party independent company that offers short-term financing, six, eight, nine, 10 months, depending on the element. The agent collects a down payment on that 50,000, usually 20 to 25%. And the remaining balance of that is transferred into a premium finance agreement for a short-term note. And that allows for the customer, the insured, to receive a billing mechanism so they don't have to write a $50,000 check. If customers that we were trying to insure in the surplus lines arena had to write 50, 75, $100,000 checks every year, it would 
severely hamper their cash flow. So the premium finance company helps those customers offer that cash flow mechanism and pay their bill. That is an element that exists. And so you got a lot of moving parts. You got surplus lines. They don't offer consumer direct billing or business direct billing. The agent is responsible for collecting the premium and binding the premium, uh, the carrier or the broker. And now insert the premium finance company who becomes a third party to financing that and providing the customer a cash flow mechanism so they don't have to pay that all up front. So let's talk about premium finance. A lot of times when you receive that insurance quote back, there's going to be a premium finance quote that is attached to it. This is a sister company that the carrier has partnered with or has created. I want agents to understand that this is not the premium finance company that they are required to go with. We have found out in talking to newer agents or agents that have come over from the exclusive world to the independent world that they made the assumption that that was their premium finance quote. I want to encourage you, find a premium finance company that you can work with. It's a banker. I mean, you want to have the same kind of banking relationship with your premium finance company that you do with your checking, your savings, your investment accounts type of banking. So that is just because you're getting a quote there and it may be one step less, it may not be your best deal in the long run. A lot of wholesalers, MGAs that have these surplus lines contracts and offer these surplus lines programs and and carriers will also set up their own premium finance company, as you mentioned, another source of revenue for them. And in their mind, they're providing you efficiency because they're offering this sister finance company and they're working together. Here's the reality of that. And I'm actually an advocate of what you're talking about in the sense that I want to have one premium finance partner. And the reason I want that is because I want all of my premium finance business to be in one place. I want to be able to go if I've got a billing issue going on, if I've got a missed payment. I don't want to have to remember which premium finance company I actually put this thing through. I want to know I'm going over here to XYZ premium finance company and that's where all of my premium finance business is. That's my preference. It is an efficiency thing at the agency level. However, that's not what happens to a lot of agents because of what you're saying. Out of convenience, they get this quote back from the broker wholesaler and it has attached to it this premium finance estimate quote as well. And they just go with that. And that is not the most efficient thing for your agency. You could end up with business placed across five or six different premium finance companies because the reality of it is you're probably not going to place all of your surplus lines business through that single MGA or wholesaler. And that's why you could end up being very inefficient because you could end up working with four, five, six different wholesalers and then choose a single premium finance company and to make that world a little more efficient. Shameless self-promotion. If you're looking for a personal finance company that will really work with you, we do own one. So that's IntegroPremiumFinance.com. We would love the opportunity to work with you. My little brother who runs our premium finance company will appreciate that. 
that. So going back to this idea of surplus lines, how do we keep this not being messy? When I came on board with you guys, there was a term that I had never heard before called a sweep account. Now, having a mother that's an attorney, I knew what a trust account was. And I know that this language differs from state to state, but let's talk about sweep accounts and trust accounts and how to keep money where it needs to be within all of this. They're two different things. And in most states, definitely want to be potentially two different things. I'll start with sweep accounts. So what the sweep account is, a lot of carriers came out with this and it's on that direct billing piece. It's for those carriers for the most part that are going to bill the customer directly. There may be a down payment required that the customer needs to pay the agent. Once that down payment is made and then all subsequent payments are going to be billed, EFT, recurring credit card, whatever the mechanism that the customer wants to do by the insurance company. But that initial down payment sometimes, and depending on where you are, and I'm not saying this is the right or wrong way to do it, a lot of small town agencies today still take cash. A lot of metro agents have gotten away from this. COVID certainly helped speed up this cash payment business specifically. But what happened is many years ago, there was a mechanism needed so that when a customer paid the agent money, that there was an easy way for that insurance company to get that money. And so this creation of sweep accounts, I put $100 in from a down payment and then the carrier sweeps that $100 out the next day because I uploaded the policy in the system and I indicated I collected $100. That mechanism has been something out there for a few decades. It really was an efficiency tool because everybody was collecting down payments. There's a lot of carriers that have moved beyond that and certainly property homeowners, mortgage bill. Some agents are not even maintaining sweep accounts because they can put the credit card information or the bank account information directly into the carrier portal and the carrier can grab that money. So sweep accounts, I kind of hope are dying, but that's what a sweep account is. A sweep account is about money in and out. We literally call it every dollar that goes into the account comes out of the account. That is completely different than a true trust account for agency bill or what I would call a premium account. Because in some states, there's not necessarily a trust requirement. In some states, there is. And so not every state has regulations around trust requirements, but some states do. And you need to know if your state is one of those, if you get into this, because what you're doing when you collect that money is you're collecting that money and you're a fiduciary. It's not your money. It belongs to the insurance company and your carrier contracts are going to talk about that. And sometimes in some states, you have to prove that you're in trust. And if you're out of trust, that means somehow or another you took money that wasn't yours and you commingled it or you used it with some type of operating funds, just making sure you keep premium money and operational money separate. So the difference in a sleep account or a trust account or a premium account is you can actually pay yourself your commission out of a premium account without there being the challenges that there would be in the other two. Yeah. So in that premium account, you've withheld the 5000 and the best practices there is at the end of the month, you're going to take all the agency build commissions that are sitting in that premium account and you're going to transfer them over into your operating account. You're going to get them out at the end of the month. So the only thing that should be left in that premium account is the insurance company money or the MGA money that you have 
coming due within the next few weeks or a few days on your agency bill statement. And so you're going to get a statement or you're going to get an invoice from that wholesaler and it should reconcile to that transaction I just walked you through. What do you say to the solopreneur that says, I don't want to do all this. I just want to get out and I want to go sell. Stay out of surplus lines. (laughs) Find a different niche because you can't get away from this. You're going to either have to learn it and do it yourself for a period of time, or you're going to have to have the capital and funding to have someone in your agency in order to keep up with all this. One element there that a lot of agents use, the surplus lines world is kind of like the wild west. So there are, depending on your state, make sure you understand the disclosures necessary. But a lot of times around surplus lines, agents will add agency fees on top of the commission that they make. And so being able to actually be profitable around surplus lines and kind of cover the extra work that is required is one way to do that is agency fees. A lot of agents do that. Um, depending on the marketplace, depending on where you're at, depending on your state, make sure you understand disclosure laws with the consumer on that. But that's one way to be able to also afford the additional help. If you just want to go out and sell, understand you're going to pay the piper at some point on this process if you're going to sell surplus lines business because it is just part of it. And the one thing you don't want to do ever is get sideways with a wholesaler or a broker because it's a very small world. Let's not forget, not only do insurance company marketing reps go from carrier to carrier from time to time, but MGA, brokers, surplus lines, underwriters also tend to go and get offered jobs, pay raises, whatever, to move to the next broker. Understand that you can get a bad reputation really quickly. So is there anything else that's a pitfall landmine thing? around surplus lines? Most of the surplus lines, especially on the general liability side, are auditable policies. And this can also happen in the admitted market too, but it's really prevalent around surplus lines. And what that means is, is we'll just use general liability rated on revenue or sales. And let's say that you write this account and the customer says, yeah, I'm doing $250,000 a year in revenue. And so the premium indication in the policy is written based on 250,000 in revenue. And then, whoops, they didn't do $250,000 in revenue. They did a million dollars in revenue. Well, at the end of this policy period, there's going to be an audit and the insurance company is going to send this audit information and they're going to ask for the customer to complete this audit information. And when they do that, and it went from 250,000 in sales to a million in sales, there's going to be an audit premium or an additional premium that is going to be required. Well, as an agency bill policy, (laughs) the wholesaler, the broker, their surplus lines carrier, those two different mechanisms, well, they're not going to send an invoice to the insured. They're going to send an invoice to the agency and they're going to say, hey, there's been a premium audit, there's money due. And let's say the premium on this thing for the $250,000 in sales was $10,000 and now it's a million in sales. So there's an additional premium due. I'm making this up. Don't hold me to my math, but we have an additional premium due of $30,000. This is upfront 
do money. This is not financeable money because there's no recourse. There's no policy to cancel. It can't be necessarily financed or dealt with. This is money that the customer is going to have to pay and the agent is on the hook for it if the agent doesn't take certain steps. This is unfortunate. Yeah. So this is one of these things where there's an audit process and you have to do what's called turn back the audit to the wholesaler and say, hey, I can't collect this, but you have to try to collect it. And we have a three notification rule before we turn that audit back. And generally it's about 30 days to turn that audit back. In some cases, it might be a little bit longer. If you turn the audit back, they will go after that customer directly. But remember, hopefully this is still your customer. So you kind of have some awkward moment, friction moment. And that's why when you write the policy in the first place, you want to talk about audit and you want to talk about the requirement and you want to make sure they're giving you accurate sales information and so forth so that there's not this pitfall landmine at the end because guess what else is going to happen? And this part can be financed, but let's say the premium audit happens and you owe $30,000. Well, guess what also happens to your renewal? Your renewal gets adjusted and it goes up another $30,000. It's kind of this double whammy of you have to pay for last year's policy and now you're going to pay more for next year's policy unless you can prove that there were extenuating circumstances and there's no way you're going to do a million dollars again. But it's kind of like taxes. The IRS doesn't care if you make a million dollars, you're going to have to prepay estimates. They don't think you're going to make $250,000 next year if you made a million dollars last year. And so it's one of these things that is out there that agents that don't really get in, dig in and understand and educate themselves can get themselves in trouble and can get their customers in trouble. And you just don't want to have that egg on your face. You don't want to be in that situation. I think this business and my brother, obviously, in the premium finance business loves surplus lines business because that's how he makes his money is he finances this business. We are not against agency bill, surplus lines business. I get sometimes told that why are you so negative about this? I'm not negative about it. We write lots of surplus lines business. We do this thing. We write big accounts. We have this inside our agency, but we have processes and we have people in place. And we we lost some money 25 years ago by doing it wrong and being stupid. And we don't want that to happen to you. And so I'm not negative. I know this is a part of our business and I want you to jump off into this business if it's what you want to do, but I want you to be educated educated about it. And I don't want you to have to pay ten dollars or $15,000 out of your pocket because you messed this up. And that's the part that is why I probably come across in my dad voice sometimes as being negative. But I just don't want agents to get burned and to burn their customers and have a bad reputation because you could be this incredible, personalized, successful agency and then step off into this and not be knowledgeable and educated about it and run your reputation reputation in an instant. I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Matthew McConaughey. I may not have all the answers, but I'm learning to ask the right questions. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.